This episode contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, May 5th, the Just Trash It All edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is nine, and we live in Los Angeles. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's seven, and Teddy, who's five, and we live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Zach Rosen. I make the podcast, The Best Advice Show, and I live in Detroit with my family. My daughter, Noah, is four, and my son, Ami, is one. Today on the show, we're wondering, do you ever feel like you're constantly tiptoeing through a maze of toys, or is it the walls of your place are just closing in? Well, our listener can relate. She's had enough of her family's mess, and she just wants to throw all the shit away. Then on Slate Plus, we're talking about Old Enough, a Japanese show where toddlers run errands on their own. You may have seen clips float across your feeds, and it is terrifyingly adorable, no doubt. But we can't help but to wonder how our own kids would fare. I can tell you how mine would do. (laughs) Here's a sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. Yeah, she's got a good sense of direction. She's very good at talking to strangers and asking questions. Of course, that lends itself to her getting kidnapped in the worst case scenario, but I'm not about to let her do it anytime soon. No, no, I'm Um, I'm not suggesting that. However, I think she could do it. If you want a weekly bonus segment from us and your other Slate faves, consider signing up for Slate Plus. You'll also never be bothered by a pesky ad again, and you'll have unlimited access to the Slate website. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash plus. Again, that's slate.com slash plus. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll dive into our triumphs and fails of the week. If you're new to our show, welcome. Whether you're a parent, educator, or just interested in this wild journey, we're so glad to have you. Here on Mom and Dad Are Fighting, we share our parenting triumphs and fails, offer some advice, and share recommendations of things we love. We're here twice a week on Monday and Thursday. So subscribe to never miss an episode. We're back and ready to get started with some parenting stories. Zach, what do you have this week? A triumph or a fail? Uh, I think fail. I was having some some family drama, some friend drama. It was just like one of those like crappy weeks. And I was just noticing how lucky I am, frankly, to like normally have like a relatively content day to day. Work is pretty good. I get along with my family pretty well. Um, and therefore I can usually like try at least my best to be a good dad. And I was just noticing this week as I was just dealing with this other stuff outside my immediate family that I just became such a worse parent, less patient, less compassionate. Um, It gave me a lot of respect for people who just have no choice but to deal with the crazy shit that comes into their lives and um, have to just parent through it regardless. And so there was like a couple, there was, it was really just like a day maybe two days this weekend where I just felt like unable to to show up as as the best dad I could. I was talking to my friends last night who, you know, we're going through something and then this Roe v. Wade thing comes up and it's like, man, this is a, this is a bleak moment in America. 
and just got me feeling terrible. Um, terrible. I'm in the same. Yeah. <laughs> we had a, a rough weekend also of just like one of those days when the kids are all doing stuff and you're you're trying to like redirect each of them but they just keep ending up in the same place and getting like like I was non-stop parenting this weekend where usually they're like pretty good and then I feel like on top of that the Roe v. Wade just like the the weight of that and my my anger and my feel of just like <laughs> hopelessness and like you said the bleak moment is just like a lot it's a lot yeah there's something safe about being so cynical about America that you always expect the worst. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, as heartbreaking as this should be for me, I've been waiting for Roe to be taken away my whole life, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I just have been a repro-justice girl, and that's always been the conversation in those communities, you know? That, like, the end goal is to get rid of reproductive rights, and they are going to do that the second that they have the ability to control the Supreme Court. And it brings back some really painful memories, Um particularly of the Obama era and Merrick Garland, but also like, Mm -hmm. you know, Obama being one of those presidents who says something about, you know, what a stroke of a pen, here's what I can do for Roe and like not doing that. So I don't know. Um, I can't say I'm surprised, but it is definitely a bleak, bleak moment. Living in Colorado Springs, I'm definitely surrounded by a bunch of people who are anti-abortion and spend a lot of times talking about, you know, how terrible abortions are without any understanding of the other societal things, right, that surround the reproductive rights conversation. Like, this isn't just about abortions. It's about the fact that, like, we don't support mothers. We don't support anyone. And so you ask someone to make this incredibly hard choice that we do not plan, like, we do not plan to support them in any other way No, if they choose to have the baby, but then throwing all this moral stuff about life out there. And I just feel like, do you have no sense of what, like, life even means? Mm -hmm. It's hard because there are people here that are celebrating this in this very simple way. And it's like you just cannot get through to them. Like you have kids. You you know what this does and you were in a, you know, in a partnered relationship with your where you both are employed and you both have all of these advantages. And how can you not see what a change this could be for someone's entire life? You have to care. You have to care. You have to care That's about the these people. Yeah, it's not okay to just spout this stuff. And I, and I think that to me is is this idea that there's been this big moral victory and it's like no we are abandoning people it's so hurtful and terrible especially know. considering that we know that community will not stop seeking abortion and will right. make sure that it is available to their wives children and mistresses as they see fit right people who have access have access and they're going to continue to have access what do you two do with the, with the rage? Where do you put it now? Food? No. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard, Zach, but I'm a pothead. <laughs> yeah, that helps. Uh, I, I meant more like, do, is there like a, a specific um, 
you know, direct action or cause or, you know, place that you donate to, like, in addition to, to getting high and eating ice cream, which I totally endorse. One organization that I support is uh, Sister Song Trust Black Women. Um, they're a dope Atlanta-based reproductive justice organization. I was thinking about that today, to be honest. I was mm-hmm. looking at my feed and I was like, I need to be more directly connected to this. And I honestly, I thought about it. I was like, you could write something. And I was like, I don't have anything to say. You know, like, I don't feel like I have anything particularly profound or useful to add. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do feel that as somebody who's had an abortion, as somebody who's, you know, and I've always been very outspoken about it, mm-hmm. you know, I guess in my limited scope of influence or whatever, I've talked about abortion, the importance of supporting people who have them and having free and unfettered access to them. Black women in particular stand so much to lose here. Like, especially when you, not just factoring in every life factor that makes having a Black child, you know, infinitely more difficult, but just the maternal health uh, of Black women. Just the access to care. And just the care you get when you do have access. And that's a, a very big, you know, like most people think that Black women suffer poor reproductive health outcomes because you know, of lack of access to care, but even upper middle class, college trained black women, you know, are more likely to die in childbirth related um, conditions, you know, to have, I mean, Beyonce and Serena had the best care and both Mm -hmm. faced life threatening challenges during Mm -hmm. pregnancy. And Serena's was something that her doctors were not paying attention to. That's right. You know, so it's just, it's, it's terrifying to be black and pregnant and it's terrifying to be pregnant if you don't want to be. All of this is just like, okay, well, back at it. I also am really trying to talk to the kids about it. Like, we talk about politics and stuff, but, like, addressing abortion specifically with them um, is not something that we've done. And we've, we you know, talk a little bit about reproductive rights, but not in any meaningful way. And I'm just like, all right, well, it's got to start happening because I'm, you know— raising three little white boys and they they have to know and they have to know that it's important to me and I have to make Mm. them care about it. Well, listeners, we're frustrated and we're sure that a lot of you all are frustrated uh, as well. And we're certainly open to tips and suggestions. So maybe leave a comment on our Facebook page or send some ideas for how us and other listeners can get active in the fight to protect access to abortion. So, Zach, that was... Your triumph slash fail slash a lot. Um, Elizabeth, what about you? I'm taking a part triumph, part fail, which is that I I told you the story of my middle child, Oliver, carries around this puppy dog, and we convinced him that there's magic washing powder that grandma brings, and we put it into the dryer, and out comes a brand new looking dog, because it is a brand new dog. Ikea stopped making the dogs. Um, <gasps> it is... A travesty. They stopped making them sometime <laughs> around Christmas. Next week is his birthday. He is turning eight. I thought for sure, no big deal. They stopped making the dogs. He's turning eight. This will all disappear. No, my my mother came for a visit. Uh, she had to lie and say she forgot the washing powder, which she really doesn't like to do, but she did it because she loves me so much. And, and then now my dad's coming um, to visit, and she, you know, Oliver asked, could I ask grandma to send the magic washing powder with my dad? I went on eBay and I found a dog and I ordered it. I was going to I yeah. was going to say yeah. there's got to be one online. I know, but it feels like I should have bought, you know, the last time I told this story, listeners like go buy all the dogs and I'm like, "IKEA yep. has made this dog forever." I was wrong. I should have bought the dog. I bought the dog on eBay for like twice the price. It's here, it's hiding. We're going to use the magic washing powder. We're going to do it and and we'll see if this is actually the last time I'm hoping. Otherwise, I might have to fess up. <laughs> 
for I did blame supply train shortages for a while of magic grandma's magic magic powder. So there we are. We're next week. The dog will be replaced again. Okay. Hopefully eight is the year that we break up with the dog a little bit. <laughs> and this is the last one. Okay. My minor triumph is that last week, my best friend and I, I wasn't on the show because my bestie and I went out to Palm Desert for a few days. And so this trip was planned months ago. We were supposed to go in like December and then he got COVID and we had to postpone. And so... Um, I've been excited. It was supposed to be a writing trip. We're both writers and we're going to ride in the desert and get some pool time and, you know, do a little eating, go to Palm Springs, be very cool. Um, and it was great. Very little writing got done, but it's so funny because no one asked, oh, what made you think to book a trip in Palm Desert? So it was a timeshare presentation. And my triumph (laughs) is that I walked out without a timeshare. (laughs) They almost got me. They almost got me, and I called my friend. I was like, I need help. He was like, I went for a run. I was like, I need help. He was like, what is it? He was, I was like, you know what it is. I'm about to buy it. But what they did get me to buy was another package to come back and be presented to again, in which I'm going to have to summon up this steel reserve or decide if the timeshare actually makes sense for my life. And so um, this is me actually asking listeners for advice. Can you please send us a message and let me know if you like it or not? Um, my friend said I had to do some research before I go back. Yeah. <laughs> so I want somebody to tell me, like, I love it or, oh, my God, do scam, do scam, yeah. scam. Don't do it. <laughs> That's our triumphs and fails for the week. Uh, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll get into today's listener question. Should we hear our listener question? We should. And it's being read, as always, by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, I need someone to tell me that it is perfectly okay to just throw everything away in my house and start over. I live with four other complete human beings, my partner and an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, all of which are incapable of cleaning up after themselves. I've tried to teach my six-year-old to clean up their bedroom that's full of small toys and Legos, but they'll just melt down even when I separate the work into smaller tasks. My older child is capable of cleaning up, but I can't expect them to clean up their siblings' mess. I spend most of my free time cleaning up after my family. I work from 3 a.m. to 10 a.m., six days a week to handle at-home childcare for my youngest and to be there after school for my eldest. My partner works 10-hour days, five days a week, and has a two-hour commute. So if you're doing the math, I'm pretty much on my own until the weekend. The weekends are spent trying to get everything done while spending time with the kids and each other. So with this busy schedule, you can see why a house would be hard to maintain when everyone is pitching in. But they're not. The amount of stuff we have is out of control. Nothing has a home, and stuff just piles up places around my house. It's a never-ending cycle. So I need this stuff to go. I don't want to punish my children for my lack of parenting, but I am truly drowning and slowly losing my mind. I simply cannot do this on my own. And every time I look at my house, I fall deeper and deeper into a depression and it never seems to stop. It really is like taking one step forward and three steps back every time I sit down. That's all. Overwhelmed, overworked, and over it. Whew. Yeah. Uh, Very relatable. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, I feel like Probably most relatable to you having three little ones. Yeah. Dear letter writer, 
this is not just your problem. This is your whole family's problem. And if they don't understand that, there needs to be a family meeting where they understand that it's all of your problem. Even if it's only bothering you, it is a family problem. Because if you are spending all that time doing all the cleanup, that is bad for the family. It's bad for the family for, for so many reasons. So, yes, I, I it is totally okay to get rid of the stuff is what I want to say. One of the benefits of military life is that we move. And so I purge like crazy because when I see things <laughs> sitting around, I think I'm just going to have to deal with this when I move. Yeah. I think, though, the important part is that you set some expectations. So understand what tidy looks like to you. Understand what tidy is going to look like to your six-year-old and your eight-year-old. And then you need to make some decisions about, you know, you can only keep what fits in X space to each person and Mm. they can make that decision or you can make that decision. I know it's hard to part with things, but I also think it's such an important lesson for the kids. And and I've had a lot of success with the like donate, donate, donate. Um, I feel like it wraps much tidier into a lesson if you are bringing old Legos to, you know, the children's hospital. There are many ways to do this. You can actually mail Legos back to Lego and they donate them to places. There are, if you Google it, a hundred places in your town that will take these things. Um, You can drop them off at Goodwill. You can go find, you know, nursing homes that need things, preschools that need things. Like there's lots of ways. And getting your kids to be part of that is is actually really good. I mean, it can be this kind of volunteer thing you do together. And yes, all of this is where but at least you will only have to do it, you know, this once. You could encourage them to sell their stuff either on eBay or something else and make some money if that's something that you would like to do and you feel like would make parting with the toys um, easier. I think that what you have to do is have sort of this mentality that this is a family problem we are dealing with and this stuff is going to leave. And if they're, you know, you are still the parent, so it is also okay to just say it's going. I'm Pick three things. Everything else, right. you know, is staying. Kids have a tendency to think, too, that they're, they're playing with their toys, that they're not. And so something we do a lot is I ask them to box up the toy and we put it in the garage. And then I say, in four weeks, if you ask for it, we'll get it back down. And that's kind of how, like, I realized we're over the Play-Doh phase. Like, every time I got the Play-Doh out, we played with it. But if I didn't make the effort to get it out and then put it all back away, we didn't play with it. So when I put it away and they never asked for it, I offloaded it. Um, I I think you can can look for something like that. If you are feeling really overwhelmed, Emily Lay has the simplified ruthless declutter, she calls it. It's available online. It's like 10 or 12 steps and you do one a day. And like day one, you know, you walk around with a bag and you throw away Anything that is trash, broken pieces of toys that I, <laughs> I'm crazy. I, she runs it on her Instagram every um, January and I do it every January and it's great. Um, wow. And it's just a good place to get started if you're not sure where to get start- started. The other thing I really wanted to say is that my six-year-old who has um, ADHD is very overwhelmed by cleaning up, even if I break down the tasks. So I think also putting the expectation that if if things are in generally kind of a mess and they've never been part of the cleaning it up, you're going to have to do it with your six-year-old. What works for ours is that everything is labeled, like the stuff they're keeping is it's labeled with a picture and they know that it goes in that box. And I actually took a picture of it cleaned so that when I, like one, so we can say, see, we have had it cleaned before. 
The other thing is setting those expectations. Our Legos are sorted by color. The eight-year-old and I do that once a month. We sit in there together and we listen to an audiobook and we sort it. But I have a bin that they clean up every day when they play in there and just all the Legos from the floor into the bin because my six-year-old will never sort those Legos. I don't even know when he's 10, you know, older that he will be sorting them. But there needs to be something that they can do and they can manage. And because we have a picture of the room clean after he did it with me, I can say, you've done this before. We can do this again. Um, but having these kind of systems that are are achievable. But I do think if, you, if you're feeling cluttered, the stuff probably needs to leave one way or another. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that and think that there might be a fun way to gamify this. That's what I try to do um, when I'm trying to make Noah do hard things. And she's still four, so she isn't great at at this stuff. But like, and your kids now might be too old for the, I'll time you. Um, but get creative <laughs> and figuring out like, okay, the first person to produce 10 things that they're okay to part with will get mm. whatever. Um, mm. Bribe the shit out of them. Um, don't get more stuff. So, you know, reward yeah. them with... <laughs> TV or a book or whatever they they love. Um, getting to pick dinner. Getting to pick dinner. Yeah, yeah. Just get creative with it. Um, and there's the you know of course the 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 global sensation Marie Kondo. There's the book and there's also the Netflix show. If you all like watching shows, they might be enthralled when they see the kind of before and after of Clutter to Clean because I I think most people maybe all people. Once, once they get a sense of what life can be like when they get rid of stuff, they see the appeal of it. They see that they don't need like hairy Play-Doh and like just, you know, just like disgusting stuff that has just been sitting in corners, just like get rid of it. And they will feel the magical elation that you're after too, which goes back to what Elizabeth is saying is that it's, it's all of you. And I, I totally think that your kids are old enough to understand the weight that you're feeling right now with all this stuff. And so the, the, the more articulate you can be about what this is doing to you and why, why this is impacting you in the way it, it, it is, I think it's going to bring you closer together because they're going to see that you are a person and not just a parent. And I think that's really important. This is like one of those times where, it, where they see um, that you're fallible. And I think that's, very important. I just want to like validate your feeling that the right thing to do is to throw a lot of stuff away. Like it is like, I don't want you to feel that just making your house tidier is going to fix it. Like what? And I say this as somebody who I have way too much stuff. Like my co-host can see the inside of my closet. I am just a person who owns a lot of things and I've raised a child who owns a lot of things. And so like, God, we got rid of a lot of stuff when we moved from New York. And then I like last year, I tried to like reduce our things by like 30, 40 percent. And I just still feel like there's too much and there's just always stuff. And I feel good when it's organized. But you know the difference between like I have the things that I need and this is too much stuff. Yeah. It's not going to feel better until it's truly done. You know, mm. you can start a little bit at a time. Like uh, Elizabeth suggested looking up the um, what was it called? The cleaning challenge. The simplified ruthless declutter. 
<laughs> yes. The simplified ruthless decluttering challenge um, where you start out with walking through your house with a trash bag and just you doing that without the kids. Right. You can probably get a lot of stuff out of their room before, you know, putting it to them to help you decide. I'm sure there are things like McDonald's toys and birthday party favors and anything broken, you know, that you can identify. And since you are the one who's spending most of your time cleaning up, the next time you're tidying up, just start getting rid of things. Start now. Start while you're listening to this. Just get a bag. Constantly be getting rid of things. You know, I found that that really helps me a lot when I was trying to lessen our load. Those are such good points that like more bins will not fix your problem. <laughs> right. You, you're thinking, oh, I'll get some more. I'll go I'll to just, Bed Bath and Beyond yeah. and get some underbed storage. And it's like, why are you storing these things? <laughs> just, it won't they have no use. The way then to try to set yourself up is that when you're done with this declutter, like your goal should be that everything has a place, right? And the person who mainly uses that can put it in their place. <laughs> and then your expectation can just be in terms of, I, I know it seems like a lot to teach your kids to clean up, but your expectation can be at night before we go to bed, this should look like this. I should not have to clean this up. And I, I think once you get to that state with a six and an eight-year-old, you can say on Wednesdays, anything that's left on your floor is mine and you're going to do a chore or something to get it back, right? Wh whatever's bothering you. You can then set some consequences or do a big cleanup. The other thing I read in this letter is just like, you are constantly working. And if every day you come home to a house that you feel is literally closing in on you, the goal needs to be that you can walk in and everyone's put stuff away and you're like, all right, I could do a better job, but I can live in this. That is achievable, but definitely take a month or more to get there. Don't think that like one mm -hmm. weekend, like Jamila said, is, is going <laughs> to like get it done because it's just not going to happen. I would also suggest just uh, uh, taking pictures as you go so you can eventually get the satisfaction of making your own. You can make you can make a flip book of of uh, clutter to clean. It's deeply satisfying. Elizabeth, I'm glad you said family cleanup and whole household because there's something that we neglected to address in this letter, which is that it's not just the children that are incapable of picking <laughs> yes, up behind okay. themselves. It's everyone she lives with, which mm -hmm. includes her partner. Yeah who all we know about them is that this is your partner and that they are certainly a person of age and they work as do you and you work a grown-up job with grown-up hours. So it seems, and, you know, I don't have personal experience with this in, in terms of with children, but I know that I'm alone in this house. I'm the only adult. So the cleaning is on me mm -hmm. or else. I get that. What I also know is that I only clean up behind a child. Mm -hmm. I can't fathom it being my responsibility and my duty to have to clean behind another person, not because they've given me a life in which that is my duty, right? Like, okay, I stay at home, you go to an office, I'm maintaining the house. These are two working people. Yeah. So something has gone wrong a while ago that this has become a norm, you know, like yeah. it when you notice it, 
Either you said something about it and it didn't go anywhere or you didn't say anything about it. And now it's become the culture of your house. Do you two have any suggestions for how that can be broken? Because her partner is going to have to completely rethink their place in the house. A strategy that I learned, um, someone called into to my show, The Best Advice Show. And this is so funny and effective. What she did, she lives with her partner and a kid. And what she did was she graphed all of the household tasks that she and her partner do. So like, okay, I, if I, I do the dishes, you know, five days out of seven, I, mm-hmm. you know, you, you mow the lawn, you know, nine times out of 10 and actually like put this all on a graph. So there was a visualization of the disparity wow. in, in domestic labor between her and her husband. And once she showed it to him, in this case, she was doing more. Once she showed it to him, he was like, Oh shit. Uh, this is not fair, and it it kicked him into into gear. So, this this is labor to do the graphs, but it might be it might be deeply satisfying for you to, to 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 do some reporting on on this and just lay it all out. The reality is too, like you only have so much time. I my kids are really receptive to this idea. I mean, and Jeff too. Like, if I have to pick up all the toys, your laundry probably is not getting done. Or I can't also do this because I only have so many hours, you know? Um, and while I was picking up one room, you were making a mess in another room. <laughs> so I I think, too, if you can have some kind of time in which you're all doing this together, regardless of how busy everyone's weekend. Because this sounds like, I mean, the letter sounds like justifying, like, the partner works all these hours and there's And commutes 20 hours of, a week. Right. Yeah. I mean... And and I think there's a place where you're not asking them to do everything, but they right. definitely need to participate in this initial, like, get the house in a yeah. place where it can be maintained in, you know, an hour a week or something like that for just the clutter, yep. right? That we haven't even right. talked about, like, who I'm, I'm assuming you're also doing a lot of the cleaning and cooking and those sort of things. I would imagine that most people that work 10 hour days, five days a week, aren't looking forward to doing a lot of cleaning on the weekends. But she works from 3 a.m. to 10 a.m., six days a week, so that she can do at-home so childcare yes. before so and after school. Yes. Like, or rather, for the youngest during the day and the um, eldest after school. That's a lot. Yeah, That's a lot. She sleeps. I know. I, was I don't know the when same she thing. sleeps. So it's not about the two of you all having a contest to see who has the harder (laughs) set of responsibilities, but it seems like both of you all have a lot on your plate for the care of the house to only land on you just isn't fair. I say make the graph. Graph (laughs) it. Send it to us. Well, overwhelmed, overworked, and over it. We hope you gave you some ideas. Um, and we love to know what happens next. And if you're able to get your space in order that works for you, let us know what helped. If anything, send us an email at slate.com or leave us a voice memo. That is it for our show. We'll be back in your feeds bright and early on Monday with some conundrums and recommendations. And as always, let me remind you to please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or review on Apple or Spotify. This episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Jasmine Ellis. For Zach Rosen and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Jamila Lemieux. Thank you for listening.
Okay, Slate Plus listeners, let's keep going. The Japanese show My First Aaron has come to Netflix under the name Old Enough. The premise is that toddlers <laughs> ages two to five are asked to run errands on their own. Naima and I watched a bunch of episodes <laughs> recently. I'm obsessed. It's so weird. Have either of you all seen it? Oh, yes. Hell yeah. I, I actually watched the original iteration because it was on when we were in the Netherlands and they were obsessed Whoa. with it. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> I watched it and I did a, a teeny bit of research and learned, first of all, that the show's been on for 30 years. Yeah. Um, it's just what? a sensation here. It's on, it's, it's on in 100 countries. And the most surprising thing about it, so the, the Netflix version is the shows are like 8 to 15 minutes, which is like perfect snack mm-hmm. size editions. Apparently, the original Japanese version is sometimes hours long. Yeah, like yeah, they, they really it's, it's almost as if like, it's real time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just, oh you my know, God. and Americans would never, would never, no, we would do not that. watch an hour of a two year old. Yeah. So, no, no, I don't want to watch an hour of anything. Um, I will say, important context, and you kind of figure this out early in watching it that these children are surrounded by a team of producers oh, and yeah. camera people so they're not alone they're also, not in, like, uh, in danger culturally in, in japan children walk because we were preparing to move there and one of the things was like that the children go to and from school all these sort of things completely on their own in many cases and the community atmosphere is that it is it is the community's job to make sure that kids get where they're supposed to go. So so there's also kind of this very different cultural yeah. understanding that like any child walking the street would be a child that you are to take care of and usher kind of to the next corner. So so it's not you know it's not as if they've been set free in New York. No. <laughs> Good luck. No, but it's still really something to see. And, like, these kids, like, they can't read. So, like, they have to remember. They can barely speak. I mean, some of them, you know, are just learning how to talk. Some of them can barely talk. And, like, they have to remember, like, to bring this kind of paste and this dessert and go up this row. And it's incredible that they typically do it. But, like... They'll do all this really complicated stuff, and then, like, when it's over, like, trip and fall down and, like, just melt, like, just completely fall apart. I'm like, you just crossed a road, walked up a hill, bought things. the longest one, it's like they went over, the kid had to go over a mile. Like, sometimes it's it's short distances, but... um... Go over a mile, get three things from the grocery store. He forgot one of them, had to go back, and then go... It was... (laughs) It was incredible. It was quite a voyage. I mean, it's it's very. It's a, I, I find it very beautiful. So, how do you think your kids would do? <laughs> Honestly, I think Noah would do great. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think. Uh, yeah, she's got a good sense of direction. She's very good at talking to strangers and asking questions. Of course, that lends itself to her getting kidnapped in the worst case scenario, but. I'm not about to let her do it anytime soon. No, no, I'm, um, I'm not suggesting that. However, I think she could do it. Yeah, I think Henry and Teddy would be fine. In fact, I feel like Teddy would be great. Would they come back with the things I need? I don't know. But they, they, if they were tuned in, Oliver would not. I, he, he wouldn't even, he'd get to the street corner and forget what he was doing. <laughs> I think Naima would definitely require the camera crews. Like, just she needs somebody watching her. Um, 
she does not like interacting with strangers very much, though. So it's also hard for me to imagine her like she'd probably use self checkout, um, <laughs> which she loves doing anyway. Uh, and I just I feel like she would buy a lot of candy at the register. <laughs> like I'm not getting my change back. There's no way my change is coming back. I feel like the change is the least thing we could give our kids if they're going around this errand for us. Take take That's my two dollars and twelve cents. That's fine by That's me. Fair. So in in the Netherlands, it was not uncommon for you to send your kids at the market to pick up a few things, and we did it because, of course, for a while Henry was our only Dutch speaker. Like uh, he spoke oh, wow. Dutch so much better than Jeff and I, and we would send wow. him to the bakery because the bakery required the most amount of like because. Huh. I knew my numbers and stuff, but to discuss which type of bread and different things. And we would just give him the money. And that's what the parents would do. You give them the money and then the change is theirs. So they go and How far was he the, going? Well, we were like all in the market square. And so we would be with the, let's say, getting our cheese or, or whatever else, right? Picking the fruits and veggies. And he would walk. He'd have to go find where the baking stall was and and do the stuff and come back and as a result of that i do in the grocery store like i give him a little list when he's with me and he goes to a different aisle and gets those things but i mean we're in a we're in a grocery store and he's 10 yeah (laughs) Yeah. you know i mean even when we were there he was he was not i guess at the beginning he was five um but we could again totally different like you know the community he's not going to leave the market square like that that kind of stuff doesn't happen there yeah well, if you haven't watched it, you should definitely go watch it because it will it will brighten your day. And watching yeah. it with the kids is amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's wholesome AF. It's super wholesome. Naima was like so freaked out at first. She was like, why are they doing that? That is a baby. That's a baby. Oh, he's tired. You know, like she has so much empathy for the kids. They're like so she just cute. cannot believe it's happening. She should be. They should hire her to be the narrator. <laughs> she'd be a great narrator she has so much shade for the parents i don't know why she's crying she sent him like yeah it would be we would we would love um old enough with naima <laughs> narrating um netflix call me yeah. all right slate plus listeners thank you so much for your support have you been watching old enough how do you think your kids would do have you sent your little ones to run some errands on their own how has that worked out for you write us or send us a voice memo at mom and dad at slate.com we'll talk to you on monday for a normal show and you'll get another bonus segment on thursday bye